welcome to another episode of Christ in Context, a podcast dedicated to seeing Christ in all of Scripture and using all of Scripture to filter all of life. My name is Kevin, your host, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Welcome to the show. Hello, and welcome to episode 11 of Christ in Context. Uh, My name is Kevin, and we are continuing our study in Zechariah, which is really exciting. We're about to finish chapter 1, or if you're reading it in Hebrew, we already have started chapter 2. But before we started, I just wanted to just share a little bit about what's going on, Um, just because I, well, so I started first week of school, um, went pretty well. We've got a couple cases of coronavirus, but I'm trusting that the university has it under control or mostly under control. I don't know if they'll ever have full control because... God is in control, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's to be expected. So just be praying for our university. Um, and then the professors that are, I mean, all of the professors, but also, um, the team of professors and staff that are working together to try to keep things running smoothly. But on top of that, um, you might hear some click, like some banging or, like drawers opening or chopping or something because my wife is making kombucha and I think kombucha is disgusting. If you don't know what it is, it's fermented tea. And I just think it's absolutely disgusting, but I'm, I'm saying this not to bash on my wife, but because of something hilarious that happened. And there, there's a purpose for me telling this story. Um, so she, my, my wife, Cammy wanted to, um, she she wanted to add some spice to her kombucha so she bought some habanero peppers and you know i'm i at least on this podcast try to present myself like i'm an intelligent guy and so i was looking at these habaneros and i'm like you know i enjoy jalapenos and i understand that habaneros are a lot more spicy than jalapenos so you know like i'll deep fry some jalapenos or I'll, I'll even eat them raw. I think they're delicious, but I was like, let's take this up a level. I want to see if I like, um, habaneros. So I took a small bite of like half of a habanero intentionally avoiding the seeds because I know that the seeds have most of the heat and it was instant regret. I had, my mouth was on fire and then I swallowed and it just w- was way worse. It, I thought maybe if I swallow this, then the spice will leave my mouth and then it will mostly go away. But instead, it just burned my throat. And all of this is to say that us podcasters and people who maybe try to present themselves like they're super intelligent, we're not. We're not as intelligent as you think we are. We are goofy, and I just wanted to share that just because I, I think I've been trying really hard to, you know, be intellectual, and uh, I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I just wanted to share some of the, the goofier side of me. Um, you might hear it if, like, once I get guests on um, that are close friends of mine, you'll kind of hear goofier sides of me. But anyways... All of that is to say, 
if if anyone is trying to be super intellectual and and act like they're they they know everything they don't and they do stupid things as well so that's all i have to say about that we're going to get into zechariah and uh finish out chapter one which is crazy we already finished a whole chapter which which might be crazier that it took us three episodes to finish the whole chapter (laughs) so let's dive into it and then we'll keep chugging along hopefully we'll be able to pick up the pace but i i don't want to miss anything um for the sake of going fast so um verses 18 through 21 is what we're going through it's just a short little passage but it's got some interesting uh interesting stuff so zechariah 1 18 through 21 says then i lifted up my eyes and looked and behold there were four horns so i said to the angel who was speaking with me what are these and he answered me these are the horns which have scattered judah israel and jerusalem Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen, and I said, What are these coming to do? And he said, These are the four horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man man lifts up his head, but these craftsmen have come to terrify them, to throw down the horns of the nations who have lifted up their horns against the land of Judah in order to scatter it. So this is the second of eight night visions. Um, As I mentioned right at the beginning, this is actually in the Hebrew Bible, it's um, the beginning of chapter two, and I don't know exactly why English translators have put this in, uh, at the very end of chapter one. And I didn't do a lot of research on that, but that's just a little fun fact to know. Um, anyways, (laughs) uh, getting into verse, let's just Go verse by verse. Um, Verse 18. Then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, there were four horns. So this is this whole vision is just really perplexing. It at if you read it over, um, I know when I had first read Zechariah, um, like for the very first time, I was I a lot of these visions I read over, and I'm like, I don't understand what any of this has to do with anything. I don't understand why God is giving Zechariah this vision because there's not really an interpretation. It's, and if there is, it's still super vague. Um, so, you know, you read it and there's four horns, like what in the world does that mean? So if we look at the rest of the context of, um, the Hebrew Bible or the old Testament, then we'll see that there's a couple ways that horn, the word horn is used. And, most of the time you'll see it um, referring to, you know, like, well, maybe not most of the time, but a lot of times you'll see it referring to like the horn of an ox or the horn of a goat, Um, something along the lines of that, like what it makes sense to refer to or like uh, a horn used to carry oil. So like a broken off horn that they, you know, hollowed out and use to carry oil. Um, But You'll also see it as referring to um, referring to power, which is really really interesting. I'm going to read a couple of verses, and there's dozens more throughout um, the Old Testament that use horn in the same way. A lot of them are poetic, 
for a reason, um, because you don't talk about a horn, <laughs> um, in a, like literally to speak, uh, you know, about power. So, uh, if it's not poetic, then it's definitely figurative. Um, so first Samuel two, one is then Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. So this is Hannah praising God because she became pregnant. Um, she was barren and she's praising God. And so she says that her horn is exalted in the Lord, meaning that she can lift up her head and be, um, be proud and uh, rejoice that she is with child, that she is bearing a child. Um, so in some places we'll see the old Testament refer to, you know, like we'll see a person say, I lift up my horn, um, specifically to talk about lifting up my head, um, for Samuel two ten, which is just continuing, um, part of that prayer. Uh, I think those who contend with the Lord will be shattered against them. He will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his king. And will exalt the horn of his anointed. Uh, again, this is the uh, figurative language of exalting the, um, you know, God will exalt the the head, the um, the the pride, not not in this sinful sense of pride, but um, I, I hope that makes sense. He will, God will exalt the the horn of his anointed, the head. Um, all that stuff. So Psalm 18.2 says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Um, it's another idea of um, this strong force, um, something that we can grasp a hold of, uh, something that uh, it it's this symbol of power. Psalm eighty nine seventeen says, for you are the glory of their strength and by your favor, our horn is exalted. Um, you know, like it's again, continuing this idea of being able to lift up your head and being able to, uh, being able to say that there's, uh, there's power there. There's comfort that can be taken in, in God. Um, and so that, that's just a brief look at how the word horn is used in the Old Testament. Um, I, I probably didn't explain it that well. I, um, but if you want, go through, uh, look at other Old Testament passages that use the word horn, and you'll continue to get this picture of um, power, of um, strength, and um, might you know, thing, things of that nature. So the other question that we ask is like, why are there four horns that Zechariah sees? Like, what's the significance of four? Why not five? Why not three? Why not six? Like, why, why is it four? And sometimes when we read these prophetic visions, we don't really ask that question. We're just like, okay, he saw four. What next? Like what's next? Um, but it, sometimes it's important to ask like, why four? Because um, there's a different, culture a different way of understanding um like a different understanding of numbers so like when we 
think of five or 10 or uh, any like rounded off number, uh, like divisible by five or uh, divisible by two, usually we think of that as like, um, like symbolizing completeness. Like we think of 10, like that's a complete number. But if we think of like nine, then that's like unstable. Or we think of 11 and that's, you know, like it's unstable. It needs to be completed. Um, And so with the number four within like the ancient Near East or specifically within Israel, as they understood four to be a complete, like a complete number specifically um, within the idea of like you, you might hear the phrase like four corners of the earth. Like it, it symbolizes the whole, uh, the whole concept of something. So like if there's four horns, it would symbolize like four, uh, like uh, coming from every direction in a sense. Uh, So we'll get more of that idea clarified as the vision goes on. So verse 19 says, so I said to the angel who was speaking with me, what are these? And I agree with Zechariah looking at these horns, you know, what are these? What are they doing? Uh, I'm assuming that when Zechariah sees this, he's just seeing like four horns by themselves. Um, When I was kind of meditating on this, I was thinking, you know, maybe he saw two pairs of horns or like um, maybe he was using the idea of a horn as like a synecdoche, which is using the part to describe the whole. So he, you know, maybe he's talking about, he says four horns and he's talking about, you know, four oxen or four, or I'm sorry, two oxen or two, um, two goats or something like that, which even though that would be cool, I don't think that necessarily fits um, the overall vision that Zechariah has and then the rest of kind of the interpretation of it, um, specifically because the answer is these are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem, which you might say like, well, actually, no, that does kind of fit with two oxen or two rams because you think of Assyria and Babylon, like both Assyria and Babylon destroyed Israel, Judah, and Jerusalem. Um, However, um, the Targum actually translates four horns as four kingdoms. And so um, there's already an understanding from Jewish sources. We don't even need to get into Christian sources, but Jewish sources would say these are four kingdoms. Um, And again, with the idea of four symbolizing completeness or um, like every direction, um, you know, filling it up, it would make sense that four would be um, individual. uh, Like there's an emphasis on the individual, like each individual number four um, rather than two different pairs. And we also get this because uh, we can come to the conclusion that it's not a synecdoche because um, later on there's four craftsmen that are introduced that are each coming to destroy the horns. And so um, it wouldn't exactly make logical sense for four craftsmen to come to destroy two different goats or two different oxen or something like that. Um, so I'm going to take this and understand it as just four horns by themselves 
There's no animals attached to them. Um, so, yeah, as I said, the Targum translates this four horns as four kingdoms, which is really neat um, that we have this and can understand, like, okay, this is how uh, the Jewish people are uh, understanding what this vision means, um, you know, kind of what Zechariah was talking about. And so the question kind of arises after we hear that, like, what are the four kingdoms? And, um, you know, maybe without even looking at the Targum, you would read that these are the horns which have scattered Judah and Israel and Jerusalem. And so you kind of ask the question like, okay, well, that's implied that who is a kingdom or a group of people that came and destroyed um, these this nation. And so what are the kingdoms? You know, what are they representing? And so I'm going to say that it would likely be Assyria and Babylon for sure. And then Persia and Greece, because those are other world powers at the time. Um, so the idea is that there's these massive world powers that have, you know, collectively worked together to subdue and destroy the Israelites so that they would be lifted up so that the other world powers would gain, um, you know, would continue to gain status. Um, however, there are other commenta- commentators who contend that, um, the four powers mentioned are Babylon, Medo-Persia, which is just Persia, Greece, and Rome. And the reason for that has to do with Daniel chapter 2, which predates Zechariah. Um, at least I think it does. There's some people who think that Daniel was written in during the Maccabean era, which is like 150 or 160 AD, or not AD, B, BC. Whew, man, 160 BC. I got this. I know, I know when this was, I promise. Um, but I, I don't think that there's solid evidence for that um, as far as the writing of Daniel. Um, I could see how it's possible, um, but we do look at um, this. You know, we can see how there would be the three kingdoms, Assyria, Babylon, and Persia. And then we're kind of left wondering, like, well, what is that fourth um like what what would that fourth kingdom be? Because like we know Assyria destroyed Israel, we know Babylon destroyed Judah and Jerusalem, and then we know that Persia is the world power that destroyed both of them. And so we're kind of left asking, well, what is this fourth one? Um and in later on in Zechariah, I'm trying to find it because I did not um make note of it right away. Um but I am just deciding on the spot that we are going to make note of this. Um, there is a verse where um, Zechariah talks about um, Greece. And I'm trying to find it. So I'm just kind of stalling as I'm looking for it. <laughs> um, it's It's towards the end. It's chapter 9 10 11 12 or 13 i think it's somewhere in chapter 10 um 
Let's see. And I can't find it. So. Darn, that's a bummer. Um, anyways, there, there is a spot later in Zechariah where he mentions Greece. Um, I promise I'm not making this up. I saw it in, uh, the commentary I use. Um, but it's in there. So all that to say is it's just, a. there's two possible understandings of what the, um, the nations are or kingdoms are that, um, Zechariah is talking about Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, or Babylon, Medo-Persia, um, Greece, and Rome. You know, it could be a prophetic foretelling of um, what's what is to come. So let's just let's keep going uh, on to verse twenty. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. So we ask like. Why craftsmen? What do craftsmen have to do with horns? Um, what what's the significant? Like, is there a significance of craftsmen? Are they like secret? Like to us, secretly, like uh, you know, really um, socially powerful. Um, like, did the Israelites understand them as socially powerful, and we just don't know about it? Well, the answer is no, at least as far as my knowledge. Uh, they're just craftsmen. Um, <laughs> however, we can generally assume that craftsmen carry hammers or some type of tool used to destroy or chisel or, you know, break things. So the understanding of a craftsman would be someone like a stonemason or a carpenter or, um, you know, something of that line someone who uh takes like a big bulky object like wood or stone and turns it into something um beautiful something useful and so they generally carry you know when i think of a um a stonemason or a carpenter i think of someone carrying a a hammer and a chisel that's probably not everything that they carry or used to carry but the idea is that they're bringing stuff that is definitely capable of destroying a horn. Um, And so each horn is respectively going to be destroyed by a craftsman. And so this gets on to the next verse where Zechariah asks the appropriate question, what are these coming to do? Why, like, what are these craftsmen coming to do to these horns? And he, the, angel of the Lord said, these are the horns which have scattered Judah so that no man lifts up his head, which I find to be a very um, profound and perplexing statement so that no man lifts up his head. Um, You know, that, that was the part of the purpose of the horns being sent to scattered Judah. But then he goes on, explaining so he uh restates you know what these horns are and what what the purpose of them was and then he goes on to explain what uh these craftsmen are and he says that these craftsmen have come to terrify um to shake to uh destroy uh to 
make them tremble is kind of, is this idea that's being brought about is to terrify them and then to throw down the horns of the nations who have lifted up their horns against the land of Judah in order to scatter it. So remember when I read all of these verses referring to horn as this idea of power or pride, um, you know, like I lift up my, Hannah says um, in First Samuel 2, 1, my horn is exalted in the Lord, my mouth speaks boldly against my enemies, um, and then I, and God will, and verse 10, verse 10 of Second Samuel 2 is, and will exalt the horn of his anointed, um, you know, this idea of like, I will lift up my horn, um, being with lifting up my, being associated with lifting up my head. And so then it switches from literal horns and maybe Zechariah saw four heads for proud people. Um, I'm going to lean on the side that they were horns in order to really make the point clear of these craftsmen coming to throw down. And then it says the horns of the nations, which then switches into this powerful figurative language of, you know, the, we could say to throw down the pride of the nations who have lifted up their head against the land of Judah in order to scatter it. Um, who've lifted up, you know, in Isaiah chapter 10, I'm going to flip there. This chapter has been on my mind a lot recently. I've been having a lot of discussion about, um, you know, the sovereignty of God and the freedom of man and how that plays out together. And it seems like it contradicts itself, but it's, it doesn't and it's in scripture. And so in Isaiah, uh, chapter 10, Isaiah says, um, woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger and the staff in whose hands is my indignation. I sent it against a godless nation and commission it against the people of my fury to capture booty and seize plunder and to trample them down like mud in the streets. Yet it, it does not so intend, nor does it plan so in its heart, but rather it is its purpose to destroy and to cut off many nations. So God is sending Assyria. However, Assyria has their own purposes in mind. Their idea is that they're going to continue to destroy Israel and every nation that they can so that they will be built up. For it says, Are not my princes all kings? Is not Kalno like Carchemish, or Hamat like Arpad, or Samaria like Damascus? And my hand has reached to the kingdoms of the idols, whose graven images were greater than those of Jerusalem and Samaria. Shall I not do to Jerusalem and her images, just as I have done to Samaria and her idols? So it will be that when the Lord has completed all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will say, I will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart and the king of Assyria and the pomp of his haughtiness. For he has said, sorry, this is a lot of reading, but it's just so good. <laughs> For he has said, by the power of my hand and by my wisdom, I did this. For 
I have understanding and I removed the boundaries of the people and plundered their treasures. And like a mighty man, I brought down their inhabitants and my hand reached to the riches of the peoples like a nest. And as one gathers abandoned eggs, I gathered all the earth and there was not one that flapped its wing or opened its beak or chirped. So here's this clear, um, poetic, um, explanation of the pride of Assyria, um, how they are the, uh, the king and then all the people. Well, the king himself is bragging about how he has done all of this great work. It's by his power. He's full of pride. And then God mocks him and says, is the ax to boast itself over the one who chops with it? Is the saw to exalt itself over the one who wields it? That would be like a club wielding those who lift it or like a rod lifting him who is not wood. Therefore, the Lord, the God of hosts, will send a wasting disease among his stout warriors, and under his glory a fire will be kindled like a burning flame, and the light of Israel will become a fire, and his holy one a flame, and it will burn and devour his thorns and his briars in a single day. And he will destroy the glory of his forest, of his fruitful garden, both soul and body, and it will be as when a sick man wastes away, and the rest of the trees of his, of his forest will be so small in number that a child could write them down. And all of that is God saying that he is dis- he's going to destroy Assyria because he is not going to let a wicked man and a wicked nation go unpunished for their wickedness because they had sinful intentions in everything that they did in the destruction of Jerusalem. And so... This is a reminder for Zechariah um, in verse 21, where he says, These craftsmen have come to terrify them to throw down the horns of the nations who have lifted up their horns against the land of Judah in order to scatter it. And so in part, it's a reminder of uh, how God has destroyed Assyria and has destroyed Babylon through the Persians, but it's also a foretelling uh, promise that God will continually throw down the horns of the nations and continue to destroy those who try to destroy God's people. And he will absolutely not let that continue on forever. Uh, another thing that uh, is important in understanding you know, the significance of this is we were previously talking about in the last episode that the um, that Zechariah had seen peace throughout all the nations. He saw these horses um, and they had reported that there was peace throughout all the land. And then in the very next vision that Zechariah gets, and we were, we were talking about how um, this idea of peace is the complete opposite of what was hoped for, for the coming kingdom of the Messiah. And so, in the very next vision that Zechariah gets is this idea of God coming and scattering or sending people to scatter those who might seemingly be at peace, who have already terrified all of the Israelites, all of those of Judah. God is still, he's reminding Zechariah of this promise that he will come and scatter. Um, he's not going to leave sin unpunished. Um, 
and additionally, he is, you know, he, he, this is a continual promise for us in the church, not in the sense of blurring the lines between the covenants, but, um, that God does not allow, um, he will not allow his people to be destroyed forever. Um, I think I had already mentioned that, but another passage that's coming that had come to mind as I was prepping for this, and I just love it, is Exodus 34, 6 and 7, which shows, like, it shows the character of God. It's a beautiful passage. It says, Then the Lord passed by in front of him, in front of Moses, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. So we get this picture of a perfect balance. (laughs) You might think of Thanos um, saying, perfectly balanced, as all things should be. Um, but it's this idea of God being compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, um, you know, keeping loving kindness, forgiving iniquity, uh, forgiving transgression. However, he also will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. So there's this contrast between God being able and willing to forgive, but also definitely punishing sin. And that's this idea that is going on in Zechariah, that there is punishment for the nations who go against God's people. And um, that's where I want to stop. That's where I want to leave this episode. Just with that reminder, um, I I don't want to spend too much time more other than that this is a reminder of um, God's goodness and his faithfulness to his people, especially during uh, these crazy times where it seems like every morning we wake up and there's something new, something unpredictable and horrendous that's about to come our way. Uh, Something that's, you know, we wake up and we're like, all right, what's going to blindside us this time. Um, But God is our rock and he is, the one who we can trust and rely on that he will not let the sin of others go unpunished. He will not, uh, let natural disasters be purposeless. Um, and yeah, that's, that's where, that's where I'm going to leave it. I, I hope that that's encouraging to you in some way that God is in full control. And he, uh, maybe if he isn't, directly intervening he's using means to meet the ends um of his sovereign plan that uh you know in this passage he's sending craftsmen to destroy and scatter the horns so god might be sending uh using something that seems to be um you know it's a secondary cause we might say in like technical terms um he's sending something in order to reach uh, his goal. 
And so it might seem like there's something painful going on, uh, something that we don't want to happen, or uh, prayers might be answered in ways that we don't want them to be answered. But we can take confidence in the hope that um, God is faithful to his people. And uh, if he has called us, if we are truly in his hands, then no one can take us out of his hands. Uh, there, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. So, uh, yeah, take that as encouragement um, and hope to really cling to Jesus in these unprecedented times. Um, until next time, continue to dig into the word, continue to seek God in all that he has said. Thanks for listening to this episode of Christ in Context. If you enjoyed the episode, give us a rating and a review through Apple Podcasts or whatever streaming app you use to listen. And subscribe to be notified when new content is posted. You can find us on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Christ in Context Pod and Twitter at CNC Podcast. If you have a question that you would like to hear answered on the show, reach out on social media or email us at ChristInContextPod at gmail.com. We are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters and Doctrinal Discipleship. For other edifying material, check out reformpodcasts.com and Doctrinal Discipleship either on Facebook or doctrinaldiscipleship.com.